Mark chapter 13, if you turn there, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. The Reipstras are on their way to a wedding. Nate's officiating a wedding today, and so they're on their way. Pray for safe travels for them. Guys, I want to let you know ahead of time that up front we're going to be doing a lot of reading and I know it's a little tedious to just listen to someone read, and especially someone like me, to read large portions of scripture. Um, but we really need to read all of these things to kind of set the background, because there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church. And so let's begin by reading our text today, or Part of our text today, Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 24, it says, and you'll note the letters are red if you have a red letter edition, so Jesus spoke these words. But in those days, after the tribulation, or after that tribulation, excuse me, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory, I'm sorry, great power and glory. And when he will, and then he will, see, it's really hard to listen, especially I'm not reading the words. Then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Then Matthew chapter 24. If you can't turn there quick enough, Just jot it down and look at it later. This is Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse, beginning in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And then Luke's account, Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 25, it reads, And there will be signs in the sun in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring men's heart failing them for fear of the expectation of the things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with power and great glory now When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. One more, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. It reads, and of course, these are not the words of Jesus. These are the words of Paul. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep fallen asleep or have died and you'll see that in the margin of your bible if you have a concordance there it doesn't mean that they're just sleeping taking a nap but they've died lest you sorrow as others who have no hope 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I'll tell you, that's really the gospel in a nutshell, believing that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And here's the application of this rapture text. Verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So the purpose of these words are to comfort one another. Father, we pray, as we always do, that, Lord, as we approach your word, we recognize that it is your word. We need discernment. We need your spirit to shine light on our understanding, Lord. So give us ears to hear what your word says, Lord Jesus. Pray for clarity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get into this, I wanted to clarify something because I misspoke last week. I had made mention of the, the five red heifers. Of course, if you've missed it, you must live in a cave because it's everywhere, isn't it? The past week, it's absolutely everywhere. Sent from Texas, from a Christian in Texas who's been raising these red heifers for the purpose of the Jews in Jerusalem so that they could build their temple. Now, there's a lot involved in that. And of course, I touched on it last week. But last week, I misspoke and I said that the red heifers were needed for the consecration of the priest. And that's not true. In Numbers chapter 19, the red heifers, the ashes of the red heifers was used by the Jews for the consecration of the tabernacle and then later the temple. So I just wanted to clarify that I'm sure that I misspeak or I say the wrong things many times. Guys, there is great confusion when it comes to the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church. In fact, there are many who, who would look at the Olivet Discord. So the Olivet Discord, we've looked at three of the synoptic gospels. There's four gospels. Three of them are synoptic. They're similar. So we looked at the three synoptic gospels. We read Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account, same account, and there's variations, there's differences, but basically it's saying the same thing. And there are those who believe, and they would call themselves post-tribulationist. So you might need some help with that. What's a post-tribulationist? Well, post means after. So they believe that, that the Lord, that the rapture of the church that the Lord coming, coming, it will happen after the tribulation, which we would agree the Lord's coming, second coming, will take place after the tribulation, the second coming. They believe that the rapture and the second coming are um, two events that will happen simultaneously, you know, at this exact same time or very close in time, and that they will happen at the second coming. So post-tribulationists, they believe that this is all going to happen post-tribulation, after the tribulation. And they say, look at it, it says right here in the text, but in those days, after that tribulation, and then it goes on to describe the things that, it, that he described. 
Now, I would consider myself. I, I would consider myself a pre-tribulationist. So, pre is before. So, I believe that the rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation, and I'll talk about that more in a few moments here. But there's different views. There's kind of a new view that's come about in the church. It's the pre-wrath. So they believe that, well, we'll be here until the wrath of God is poured out. Then we'll be removed. I don't necessarily understand the pre-wrath view. Because when you read the book of Revelation, the very beginning of the book of Revelation, once you get to the judgments, you see the wrath of God. So it's almost immediately that the wrath is, is being poured out in the first seven seals. And then you have the mid-trib. I might have lost most of you by this time, but the mid-trib believe that the, the church will be removed in the middle of the tribulation. We know the tribulation seven years, three and a half years into it. That's when the tribulation will be. So there's the confusion. You come from different backgrounds, different church backgrounds. Uh, some of you, sadly, were probably never taught any of these things. You know, shame on those pastors. But I want to give some clarity to this. To me, it's apparent as you read it, it in its context that Jesus is speaking of the second coming in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 27. Immediately after the tribulation or that tribulation, certain things are going to come and then Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come in the air. He's going to come in the clouds and there will be some things that take place. He'll send his angels out to gather together his elect. It's obviously speaking of the second coming of Jesus. And so those who hold to a post-trib, they would say, you know, it's because of the similarities that we see. We see the similarities in what Jesus said in the Synoptic Gospels, the Olivet Discourse, and what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We just read it. And let me say that there are some similarities And I'll point out those similarities. But there are also many differences. And I think the differences are important to understand what's being taught. Once again, Mark chapter 13, verses 26 through 27, it says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Note this, they will see the Son of Man. This won't be a hidden thing. Jesus says, every eye will see me at his second coming. There will be no denying it. You know, that's why he gives a warning when someone says, hey, if they say, hey, the Messiah is out in the desert or something, don't believe him. He says, when I come, everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to know it. And so Mark records Jesus saying, and then he will send his angels and gather together. And that word together, the Greek literally means to collect upon the same place. He will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the furthest part of earth to the furthest part of heaven now i want you to note that because this is important as well so you have you have people coming from earth but also you have people coming from heaven i mean that's what it says there and again first thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 and 17 not the whole text just part of it the part that matters here for the lord himself will descend from heaven sounds similar with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So immediately we have a difference. What does that speak of? The dead in Christ will rise first? Tell me. Resurrection. 
The dead in Christ will rise first. It speaks of resurrection. So all of a sudden we recognize there's a difference here. There's a huge difference here. Then it goes on and says, then we, you'll note that it doesn't say them or they. It says we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And there's where we get the word rapture. See, there are so many people who say rapture is not even found in the Bible. Do you know that there are a lot of words that we use to describe biblical doctrine that are not found in the Bible? Do you know that the word Bible is not found in the Bible? Do you know that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible? And yet the Trinity is surely clearly taught in the Bible. There are a lot of things where we don't necessarily have the word. The word that was used here let me read it again. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Caught up. If you don't like the word rapture, you could call it the great catching up. <laughs> the Greek word is harpazo, and this is what it means. It means to seize, to catch away, or up, to pluck, to pull, to take by force. So shall be caught up together with them, with who? Context is important. With who? With those who died. So those who have been resurrected. So that those who are alive shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I love that because from this point on when you're with the Lord, you're never not with the Lord. You're always with the Lord. So post-tribulationists, one of their criticisms toward a guy like me who believes in a pre-tribulation rapture, they say, you preach and teach escapism. And I want to go on record saying that I want to escape from what what Jesus described as, remember how he described the tribulation? As a time such as has not been since the beginning of creation, nor ever shall be. I want to escape from that. In fact, Jesus said, and now I'm reading from Luke's gospel. He says, but take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare or a trap or a temptation on all those who dwell on the earth. On who? On all those who dwell on the earth. On the face of the whole earth, it says. Jesus says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to, do you know the word? To escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So here are the similarities that we find in the Olivet Discourse, the text that we're looking at today, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the text there, the rapture text, here, here are the similarities. Both of them mention the coming of the Lord. That's clear from the text. And both of them mention Christ coming in the clouds. So that, that's a similarity. And both of them have the sound of a trumpet. Now, Mark doesn't have the sound of the trumpet, Matthew has the sound of the trumpet. That's why I read the different Gospels. Excuse me. Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. He mentions the trumpet. And then both describe a gathering of God's people. So those are the similarities that we have between the Olivet Discourse, the second coming text, and 1 Thessalonians, 
the rapture text. So we have similarities, but the similarities do not prove that it's speaking of the same event. Guys, it's important for us to understand, this is why, as your pastor, you know, I'm always, I'm always exhorting you to be in the Word, to study the Word, to know the Word, know how to handle the Word. We need to know how to read the Word of God. There's so many people that don't know which way's up when it comes to the Word of God. And if you're, if you're young in your faith, you shouldn't be embarrassed about that. I mean, you're grown. We're all growing in that. But if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you don't know how to handle the Word of God, there's no one to blame but yourself because you're not putting the effort, you're not putting the time into studying the Scriptures. Remember, when you look at these two texts, because there'll be those that will say, it's the rapture and the second coming, it's the same thing, it's clear, Jesus said it, it's perfectly clear. It's not clear. You know why? Because both the Olivet Discourse and the First Thessalonians chapter 4 text are asking and answering different questions. Isn't that key to note? I mean, if you were coming into a conversation, have you ever done that? You come into the middle of a conversation and then you give your input and they look at you like, you don't even know what we're talking about. You don't even know what we're talking about. And, and here you got your input. Remember, the question, or questions, excuse me, that were asked of Jesus, Mark chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, Jesus was answering the questions. Number one, tell us when would these things be, the destruction of the temple. Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? Number three, and the end of the age. Jesus was answering these questions. Completely different topic than what Paul was dealing with in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul was answering the question concerning the death of Christians. Guys, that doesn't even come close to what we're looking at, what we're seeing in Matthew chapter 24 or, or Mark chapter 13 or Luke chapter 21. Remember the question or the statement? Paul said, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. The question was really this. Some of our loved ones have died and Jesus hasn't come back. Are they going to miss out? They didn't have an understanding. Now, guys, this is why we need to be good students of the word. Because you say, why wouldn't they understand about heaven and everything else? Because they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And so when you read the Old Testament, students, when you read the Old Testament, you realize that the Old Testament believers did not have a real grasp on what happens after death. It was really limited. Read some of the Psalms of David when he talks about death. And it's like he's reasoning with the Lord, you know. Paraphrase, what good would it be if I was dead, you know. But, you know, kind of keep me alive, you know, so that I could continue to serve you. And, and there was no real understanding of what happens after death until you get to the New Testament. And why do we have clarity in the New Testament? Because we have the resurrection and the life. We have Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. And his resurrection explains what happens after death and what we can look forward to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 centered 
on two things. Resurrection and the removal of living Christians at some time in, 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 his, in the future. It hasn't happened yet, but sometime in the future. Two things, resurrection and the removal of Christians. Don't you think it odd? If Jesus was speaking of the same thing, if Jesus was speaking of the rapture of the church in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 23, in the text that we just read, don't you think that Jesus would have mentioned resurrection? That's a big deal, guys. It might not be to you, because most of us say, yeah, yeah, I die, and, you know, I know what the scripture says, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord, I'm not concerned about resurrection. We should be concerned about resurrection. It's kind of like, you know, rewards or or crowns. We say, I'm not really into hats, you know. Listen, if it's important to the Lord, we we should take these things seriously and consider these things, you know, and as you study the differences between the Olivet Discourse and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think that the differences outweigh the similarities which indicate they're not speaking of the same event at all. Where does Paul mention in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in his rapture text, where does he mention the darkening of the sun. Don't you think that that would be something that would be significant? As he's encouraging these people, you know, hey, don't worry, you know, one day, they're with the Lord now, but one day, they're not going to precede us. It's going to be the resurrection of their bodies, and then we're going to be caught up to meet them in the air with the Lord. He's encouraging them. Don't you think he would say, and the, the sun's going to become dark? That would be significant to note. Are the moon not giving us light? We see this in the Olivet Discourse. Are the stars, stars falling from heaven? Are the powers of the heavens being shaken? We don't see any of these things in what Paul said at all. Are the tribes of the earth mourning? Do you guys remember what that is referring to? Zechariah. Zechariah prophesied that when Jesus comes back at his second coming, that the Children of Israel, because remember, guys, it's Israel. It's not the church. We're not Israel. We are the church. So many Christians have an identity crisis. <laughs> they don't know who they are, you know. But we are the church. But Israel, and as you look at that Zechariah text, it speaks of the king. It speaks of the line of David. It speaks of the priest. It speaks of the line of the priesthood. It speaks of, uh, there's four there, and it even speaks of Shimei. Remember who Shimei was? That guy that was cursing David when he left during the civil war of, of, of Jerusalem, and he was cursing him and yelling. So even the mocker, Zechariah is told, even the mocker, when they see the Lord, they will mourn for him as one mourns for their only son. Why would they mourn? Because they'll recognize we missed it. He was here. He was among us. We rejected him. And we missed it. Where do we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds? Paul doesn't mention that at all. That should be, that would be really, really significant. I mean, if, if you had the time to see him coming in the clouds, there would be a lot of people that would be repenting and saying, oh, gosh, it's real, you know. Time to repent. 
But we have this picture of the rapture of the church happening in the twinkling of an eye. There's no, there's no, there's no warning. There's no, there's no sign or, or prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before that takes place. Do you know in, oh, well, or, or what about this one? The Lord sending forth his angels. You say, well, wait a minute. I remember hearing an angel in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You did hear of an angel. But that angel was the archangel, and he wasn't sent out to gather the people. Remember what it says? That there was the voice of the archangel. There was a shout. What was the shout? It was the voice of the archangel. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus spoke of angels gathering together. Remember that word, together, to collect upon the same place, gathering together the elect. But in 1 Thessalonians, it's the Lord himself who first resurrects the dead and then harpazos, raptures, snatches away, catches away living believers. Why? Because we're not subject to the wrath of God. Do you understand that? This is so important. It's so important because remember, if these words that Paul wrote were meant to encourage us, to comfort us, <laughs> it would comfort us to know that we're not subject to the wrath of God. Did I read that or did I skip over that? I might have skipped over. I think I did skip over that. We are delivered from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. We also see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. And if, it was a, if, if the Lord didn't make it easy for, easier for us or e- easy enough for us, we also see it in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. We're not subject to the wrath of God. Can I remind you guys that the tribulation is not referred to as the church's trouble? It's referred to as Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Jacob is Israel. Where do we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture text, the distress of nations with perplexity? We don't. Or the sea and waves roaring? We don't. Or men's heart failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth? We don't. We don't see these things. You know what we see in Revelation? You can turn there if you'd like. Revelation chapter 19. We have another picture. John sees this, John the Beloved, of the second coming of the Lord. Revelation chapter 19, which, by the way, you know, again, as careful students of the word, I think it would behoove us. That's a neat word. I've never used that word. I don't think it behoove us. Where did that come from? It might behoove us to, um, to pay attention because when you look at the book of Revelation, especially for those that believe we're going to go through the tribulation, you're hard-pressed because you have the church mentioned in the first three chapters of Revelation 19 times. And then it drops from the pages of the prophecy until chapter 19. Well, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but, but here is, here's what it says, verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it, sat on him, that is the white horse, was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Remember, we saw this, guys, a few weeks ago from Isaiah. And his name is called Word of God. Isn't that what we see in the beginning of John's gospel account? Verse 14, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Remember, guys, that the Bible speaks of the Battle of Armageddon. Even people who don't read the Bible, they know about the Battle of Armageddon. It's when all the nations of the world gather there in Megiddo. And Jesus comes back, second coming. It's not much of a battle. I mean, he just takes care of them with the breath of his mouth, you know. It's a quick thing. But here's reference to it again. And he, and he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. This is something we see throughout the Bible. I think we first see it in Psalm 2, ruling with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You say, well, Dan, I know that that's second coming. The reason I wanted you to look at that is because of verse 14. And the question I have is this, who are the armies in heaven? Who are the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean? following Jesus on white horses. Who are they? Do you know, guys, you don't even have to turn from the chapter that you're in. Context is important, isn't it? Chapter 19, earlier on, look what it says in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. How are we seen? How is the church seen? We're seen not as a great warrior. We're seen as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Well, it goes on. Look what it says in the next verse. She has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I suggest to you that... When Jesus comes back at his second coming, he's not coming for us. We're coming with him. (laughs) We'll already be with him. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful if you've placed your faith in him. Again, all of it discourse. I'm almost done. I'm doing really good on time. And you guys have chicken waiting for you. But there is nothing, nothing in the Olivet Discourse that speaks of resurrection And yet, it is a crucial point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know what else we don't see in the Olivet Discourse account of our text today? We don't have any mention of people being changed. Now, I'm not saying that they won't be changed, but it's just interesting because you would think that that would be something that Jesus would mention because that would truly be a huge point. To make. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 52, can I remind you the context of that chapter? Do you remember what the theme of that chapter is? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's resurrection. Remember? Guys, 
your mind should be blown <laughs> because the scriptures are so powerful. It was in the chapter where Paul dedicates, not that he wrote in chapter and verse, he just simply read, wrote the, the letters, but, but in, our, in our Bibles, as it's broken up into chapters and verses, we have a, an entire chapter that's devoted to the assurance of resurrection. And Paul says, you know, because he's baffled that there's some who have believed in Jesus and they don't believe in the resurrection. And he says you know, guys, if in this life only we have hope, that doesn't even make sense. We're pathetic if, if it's just this life that we have hope in Christ. And so he speaks of the certainty of Christ. If, Christ, if there is no resurrection, remember what he said? Then Christ is not resurrected. If Christ is not resurrected, then we have no hope. Remember the argument? And then he gets to the end of it, and he says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable or incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Well, Paul's just simply writing what he wrote earlier to the Thessalonians. Same thing. Dead, rising first, we being changed. Those who are alive at the time being changed. I hope that that gives some clarity to you guys because, you know, we're living in a time where things are rapidly changing all, all around us all the time. I mean, the past two years, two years plus, you know, I think of the things that have transpired. I think of how the powers that be have used, you know, all of the stuff that we've gone through. Um, I think of what's happening in the world today. You know, just this morning I saw that, that Finland has closed its borders to Russians coming across because, as you've heard, Putin, you know, you kind of wonder what he's been doing for six months in uh, uh, the Ukraine because now he says, now we're going to war. And he's starting to use nuclear weapons and everything else. And, and he's called up all of the Russian males up to 65 years of age. Man, I would hate to be drafted at my age, you know. And, and uh, Nate was telling me uh, between services, he said, he said he read something that um, kind of the largest Google search in the past two days, coming out of Russia, is how to break your arm. Because a lot of these guys, they don't want to go fight the Ukrainians. I mean, you know, it's like, we don't have a problem with the Ukrainians. You know, it's insane. And you look at that and you go, man, what's going on? I'll tell you, I was talking to one of my grandsons uh, last week, and we're talking about these things, you know, he's with me and we're listening to the news and we're talking about different things. And, and I said, you know, bud, I'll tell you, this concerns me. It concerns me because, you know, if Russia goes in and continues to push in, you know, now war, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop in the Ukraine. It's going to push its way in, you know, maybe Poland, Finland and other across into Europe. If that happens, then we're involved, and we got World War III on, on our hands. And if World War III is on our hands, our military is, is down in numbers as it is. And, and I said, you know, I remember I was alive 
when there was the draft for the Vietnam War. And I said, I remember my, some of my older friends, you know, I wasn't of age to be drafted, but some of my older friends, um, they would get their draft papers. And it was kind of like that moment of, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go south? Am I going to go north? Or am I going to go, you know, report, you know? Because no one wanted to fight toward the end of the Vietnam War. No one wanted to go to Vietnam and fight because the handwriting was on the wall, you know? That's not to say anything again. You know, we were in uh, Oregon a few uh, weeks ago, Tracy and I, and we were at a little bakery and we're sitting outside. And, and this is something I learned from Jim Cuthbertson. Jim Cuthbertson, retired Navy. And whenever I'd go places with Jim, he would pay attention to things that meant absolutely nothing to me. And that was, he would look at the, the caps of men that were, uh, you know, World War II or, you know, whatever, you know, Vietnam or whatever. And, they, and, he'd, and I'd say, how, how did you know that? He goes, it was on his hat, you know. So I didn't even notice. I don't look at people's hats, you know. But he kind of trained me, Jim did, after all those years. And so I'm uh, sitting there with, with Tracy and I've got my coffee and this fellow comes up and he kind of looks at me and I see that he's a Vietnam vet. And I said, thank you. And he stood upright and he saluted me. And he said, thank you. He said, um, I forget the years, but it was, you know, 30-something years ago to this day, I came home from Vietnam. And I said, crazy times. And he goes, yeah, the craziest of times, you know. But you know, guys, you look at what's happening in the world and it's either going to excite you, not because we want tragedy to come, but excite you because you've placed your faith in Christ and you know that your redemption is nearer than when you first believed. And you have hope in that. You have hope that in whatever happens to me, I'm in Christ. So if I die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If the Lord comes for the church, then I'm going to be caught up to be with the Lord and so shall I always, always, always be with him. And how could that be a bad thing? But it should also spur us on because all of us have people that we love dearly that have not surrendered their life to the Lord. They have not placed their faith in Jesus. And we know, you know, Jesus isn't a way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. You say, oh, that's narrow. I don't like that narrow. Well, I didn't come up with it. Jesus said it, and I believe it. And so we need to be praying for our loved ones that they would come to faith in Christ. So often people, when they think of surrendering their life to the Lord, all they could think about is what they would have to give up. And you know what? When you're truly born again, that goes right out of your mind because it's not, that's just kind of like a, <laughs> a non-issue when you're truly born again. It's not, what do I have to give up? It's, look what I've gained. I've gained this relationship with the Lord and I, I've gained eternal life and, and, and security and comfort and, 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 and now I have a message of hope, a message of reconciliation to share with other people. If you're a believer, pray fervently, share the gospel faithfully to your loved ones. 
They need to be saved. We all have people like that. If you're here today and you're not a believer, and you might say, man, this is far out. You know, this stuff that you're talking about, you know, snatching away and this and that. I mean, this is crazy stuff, you know. Listen, this might be a little crazy. If you've never heard Bible, you know, it, it might be a little crazy. But let me assure you that God has a plan. God has a purpose. And God's going to carry it through. You know, guys, Jesus is coming. And he could come at any time for the church. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? I mean, if we we're waiting for the second coming, we'd have to wait for a long time. Because there's a lot of things that would need to happen. Our text today begins, or ends, excuse me. You're saying, oh, no, begins? It ends with this. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it's near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation shall by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Jesus said to men, women, who were acquainted with fig trees, I mean, there they were living in Israel. The fig tree keeps coming up We in, in uh, Mark's gospel account. This fig tree. He says, look at the fig tree. Luke says, look at the fig tree in all trees. And this is what threw its people, you know. They, well, there's a difference there, yeah. He says, look at the fig tree. When the leaves come, you know that summer's near. I mean, that's just a pattern of things. Jesus says, when you see these things begin to happen, you know that their fulfillment is near. If they've begun, listen, if they've begun, if if the leaves are on the fig tree, summer's coming. It's not that you're going to say, leaves came and there was no summer. No summer came. <laughs> if you begin to see these things, you know that these prophecies that the Lord spoke of so long ago are about to be fulfilled. We're at the door. We are the generation. This should excite us. This should spur us on. This should give us a love for his word like never before. Some say, well, I think that the fig tree represents Israel here as it did earlier on in, in Mark's gospel. And, and I, would say, I, would, I would say, I don't know that the fig tree in this particular place represents Israel, but I would say this. Without Israel being rebirthed, after over 1,900 years, dispersed throughout the whole world, coming back in May of 1948, Isaiah asked the question, or God asked the question, can a nation be born in a day? Yes. <laughs> yes. In May of 1948. Was it May 15th, I think it was? Anyway, I don't remember the exact day, but it happened in a day. Israel. The nations of the world looked on and they said, look at the Holocaust. Look what's happened to these poor people. Because of guilt and shame that they refused to buy a Jew for a dollar or two when they needed refuge. 
I said, well, let's send them back to their land. Let's give them their homeland back. And it's been a battle for them since day one. None of these Bible prophecies could be fulfilled without an Israel. And you're not it. Unless you're a Hebrew. None of these prophecies could be fulfilled. But Israel is a nation. Israel is in the land. Watch and see what's happening. Pay attention. Get your news from other sources than what you get on your TV because you're getting garbage there. And I'll tell you, be excited. Would you stay? Oh, come on up. Yeah. So at this time, if you have children, go get your children. Meet us in the courtyard. If you're going to be baptized, get your, and then the, the other two of you can stay in and we'll sing this last song. <laughs> Let's sing this last song. Okay. Okay. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, especially if there's anyone here that has not placed their faith in you, Lord, would you please woo them, persuade them, draw them to yourself, Lord. I know it seems full. I remember mocking every time I'd hear the gospel until that day that I surrendered my life to you, that it wasn't funny anymore, that it was glorious. So, Lord, we pray that you would do what no man could do. We ask this in Jesus' name.